0: I want to thank Pastor for giving me the opportunity to share with us today. It's a time then for me to be able to let God deepen some things that he is dealing with me on. And so I uh, am thankful for that opportunity. I said yes when he asked me a little bit too soon, like before I really got to sit down with the Lord and talk with him about it. Um, And I think whenever you you come up and, and, and preach here, especially with Pastor in the room, it can be a little bit like, Um, cooking for a chef. Got to be a sense of nervousness. Like, okay, this guy really knows how to cook and I'm supposed to prepare a meal for him. Um, But that's not really, I think, what what goes on. I think when we share God's word, God intends for us all to take his word and he will speak to us and he will also give us words to speak with one another. We are going to be built up by one another. And what I've been blessed with um, from pastor as he speaks is to just be nourished in how to read God's word and to take God's word for myself to let God speak to me and to nourish me. And I think that that's what God is doing in all of us. So I'm thankful for the opportunity to just share with you some of what God has been dealing with me on. And so let's begin with some prayer. Father, we thank you very much, Lord, that you are the one who feeds us. Lord, we thank you that you've given us your whole word. And it's our food. And you know how much we need it. We need to be nourished, Lord, at all times. And you've given us an abundant feast here in your word. And I pray that today as we, Lord, just take a plate away and we dine upon it, Lord, that you would nourish us. Lord, I I think that in, in any given message, Lord, especially in this, that it's not necessarily that there's something groundbreaking in it, but, Lord, that you are breaking ground in us, in it. And so I pray that you would do so, and that you would speak to us in a way that deepens your truth, truths that we know and truths, Lord, maybe that we need to be reminded of. Lord, for me, you know how much I need this word that you are saying, this specific word. And I need you to deepen that in my heart and in my mind. So Lord I ask for myself that you would speak into my soul and into my spirit truth and if there's anything that's not true that you would uproot that and Lord I pray the same for all of us Thank you in Jesus name Amen Um I was reminded as I was thinking about this message of church basketball league. Raise your hand if you've ever been a part of a church basketball league. Is that, am I the only one? Man, oh man, guys, get ready for an introduction to a whole new world. I went to a church where basketball was super important to a lot of folks in the church. Two of the pastors were really big into basketball. And then you have a basketball league and you find out a little bit who they really are. There were some times where things got really intense and some sharp words were said on the basketball court between these two pastors because they obviously couldn't be on the same team. Wouldn't work. Um, But Church Basketball League for myself was an exercise in nervousness, anxiety. Because I don't play so well. Um, But my friends assured me, hey look, just be a part. Just be a part, Kelvin Todd is gonna be okay. Will help you out plus this is just in good fun right because i've heard about what happens in good fun on the church basketball court um i was very nervous and yet i stepped out joined the basketball uh, church basketball league which went through the summer and one of the guys on my team his name was brandon randolph and he became like an instructor for me so there were things that he would let me know sometimes because i made a big mistake he let me know kelvin todd never, ever stand at the top of the key. That is not your spot. If you don't know what you're doing, don't ever stand there because that's a spot of pressure and you better know how to handle the ball and what to do and how to command the court. So I took that instruction. I was like, okay, I will never, ever, ever stand in that spot. And so then I would move to a different spot around the ring. Well, he said, don't ever... Yeah, unless you're going to take that big shot, don't stand there either maybe. You just... Your, 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 your skill is going to be in getting rebounds, Kelvin. I said, okay, I can do that. I can hop, I can grab the ball, I can bring it back down. This is going to be okay. And so defense became kind of my spot that I would um, really start to shine. And then I'd you know, just keep the ball out of my hands when it comes to offense because I'm not really going to know how to dribble. And I'm not really going to know to confidently take the shot when it needs to be taken. Um, so Brandon Randolph was very, very much helpful to me. I remember there was one time where as I was doing defense, I, did a, I accomplished something for our team. I felt really good, and it wasn't a rebound this time. Usually that was my only thing. And I contributed a good number of rebounds. Um, but I stopped a pass that was going to another player on the other team, and so we were on their side of the court. And I was like, wow. And I, in, in my mind's eye ear, like, I could can, I can just hear the crowd go, wow, Kelvin did it. And so then I'm, I'm running up the court with the basketball. I was like, yes. Next thing I know, I'm head over heels, just rolling at half court. Nobody tripped me. It was just me, and I tripped myself running with the basketball and promptly turned the ball back over, I I think. I stumbled. And that's what um, I was afraid of. I was afraid of stumbling. It's why whenever the ball came into my hands, I wanted to find the the quickest way to get it Out of my hands. I was afraid of stumbling in a public setting with friends that I knew and embarrassing myself. And isn't that in some sense what we all face at different times? Where we have responsibility, or where we have a task in front of us, or where we know that somebody's depending on us, and we don't want to, in that moment, stumble. So as I was reading in Proverbs, and God says this in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 12, when thou goest, thy steps shall not be straightened. They're not going to be made difficult in a way that's going to trip you up. Your steps will not be straightened. And when thou runnest, thou shalt not stumble. That's a good promise. That's a good word. And I know it is found in Proverbs, which just gives us kind of these maxims and good ways of living. But I believe that that word is also borne out across scripture, that God has given us some assurances that will not lead us to stumble. He has not guided us in a way that he is trying to trip us up and to set us up to stumble. So I want to just explore that. And really, there's uh, three points that I, that I have. One is, and the first one is God's input, and then our output, and then finally, the ongoing. So we'll start with God's input, and you'll hear me uh, from time to time reference uh, George Mueller. I've been reading um, and listening to some biographies on him, and it's been just really a joy to listen to his story and to read some of his story and to be reminded of this very real man, Um, some things that I had forgotten because I've read a biography of his as a kid. We read as a family. But it's been so long that it's cool to renew in my mind um, his story a little bit. So I will include some examples from his life, but also just from scripture. So first off, God's input. God's input. In Proverbs chapter four, before verse 12, he says in verse 10, "Hear, O my son." We know yes this is Solomon writing, but also this is God our Father speaking to us and saying, "Hear. I have some things to say to you. Hear. Hear, listen. Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings." We know those times where we can hear something and not necessarily receive it like one of the kids on the bus today who was hearing what I said, and then she said, yeah, but my shades aren't letting me hear what you're saying, Mr. Sims." so. (laughs) She was hearing me. She was not receiving what I was saying because she wanted to be standing up and moving around the bus, and so she wasn't ready to receive. He says here, and God is saying to us, hear, oh my son, and receive my sayings. And there's good that comes from that. When we hear God's word, when we receive God's word, have you ever been in the position where you've heard it and you know that you understand it and yet you also know I'm not really receiving that right now? There may be spans of our life where that kind of goes on and there may be just instances where we know, okay, in this moment, I'm really not liking God's word right now. It doesn't really sit well with me. I don't fully want to come on board with that. That's something that we want to learn to surrender in because on the other side of that, we miss out on a blessing that God gives. Oh, my son, receive my sayings and the years of thy life shall be many. I have taught thee in the way of wisdom and I have led thee in right paths. That's a beautiful thing as well. There's all kinds of leaders in our world who can lead us in all kinds of ways. And sometimes they may not lead us in a way that's good. Sometimes they may not lead us in a way that is right. Sometimes knowingly so, they will say, you know what, I'm just going to take you down this path because I really do want to trick you. I don't think that's going to be best or because I think that this is going to be for my good, maybe not yours, but please go this way. There are those people. And then there are a good number of people who mistakenly lead us in a way that is not right. And they don't know any better. I teach kids who have parents like this all the time. As a matter of fact, all of us, probably at different points, have been that person where we thought that the way we were leading somebody to take was good, and we found out later it was not good. This is a common human problem where we think that we know a way that is right. All the ways of a man are right in his own eyes. You hear people say, I acted with my best understanding at the time, my best thinking. And it's not always right. The beautiful thing is that when God speaks with us and when God gives us his word, that is something that is right. And it is a path that he is setting us on that is good. And he's never mistaken. That's good. I have taught thee in the way of wisdom. And don't miss the fact here that we need to be taught. We don't always know. We don't automatically figure it out. We have to go to God's school and be taught the way of wisdom. And God says, the good thing is I have a school for you. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to teach you the way of wisdom. I have led thee in right paths. And it's out of that where he says, Hear, receive my words. Yes, I have been teaching you. Out of that that he says in verse 12, when thou goest, thy steps shall not be straightened. This idea is also um, borne out in other parts of scripture. Matthew chapter six, Jesus says, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, Jesus had words to say. And he said, if you hear them, but not just hear them and do them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. In other words, God's word, Christ's word is like a rock. That we can stand on which built his house upon a rock and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock God's word is a rock and anything else we have a song about this is sinking sand and Jesus talks about that those who hear his sayings and then don't do them they're not building on his word so they are not building on a rock. They are building on sand. And when the rains descend and when trouble comes, there's destruction. What I was reminded of in George Mueller's life and listening to his biography and looking at his autobiography, and really mostly, most of this just comes from his biography that someone else wrote, is that he had to learn the way of wisdom. He had to be taught. He was not always a man that was a man of God, doing what was right, setting an example, following the Lord closely. He had a time in his life where he was very much disobeying God. His dad, from a young age, said, hey, look, I want my son, George, to um, go into the ministry. But George wasn't a good kid. He loved to steal, so he stole from his dad, which was not good. Um, not, so he went through this span of time where he was doing that. He was a drunkard as a teenager, so he would walk around and be drunk as a teenager. As a matter of fact, when he was 16 years old, he spent Christmas Day, when he was 16, in prison for stealing. And while he's there in prison, there's an older man who's also been a thief. And- I don't think that much older, so I say an older man, but I think he was also a young man, but just older than George, who was also a thief. And they traded stories back and forth about who was the better thief. And so George would embellish like his stories and say some things that were not true about himself just so that he could be kind of bigger in the uh, thieving reputation world than this guy that was, he was sharing a cell with. He did not walk in the way that was good, even though he was getting some of that instruction. He had to learn to receive the sayings of God, and he did. But even after he became a Christian, he had to learn and be taught in the ways of the Lord. There's this one uh, funny spot where um, in his life he was persuaded that God wanted wanted him to go into missions. So he was going to go to a foreign mission field. And he had a place identified where he wanted to go. So he's asking the Lord, do you want me to go there? Do you want me to go? And to help God communicate to him what God wanted, he got himself a lottery ticket of sorts. And he said, well, if this is a winning ticket, then that means that God wants me to go. And if not, then God is saying the other. Now, I'd say that, and like, those of you who know George Mueller's story, you just go, he really did that at one point in his life. Yes, he did not know how to hear from the Lord at that time. And that was his best guess at how to understand God's direction for his life. And we can laugh at that, but also as we think about ourselves, have there not been times in our lives where we've made some foolish steps because we didn't know any better and we were doing our best at the time to understand how would God speak with us? God will teach us. He will teach us in the way of wisdom. He will lead us in right paths. That is God's input. So he has an input for us, and that is his word. Everything else that comes from that is built on that. His word first. If this promise of when thou goest, thy steps shall not be straightened, and when you run, you will not stumble, if that's going to apply to you and me, the first part of receiving his word needs to apply to you and me, needs to live in us. Otherwise, it doesn't apply. This is a promise specifically to the people that receive God's word. But then when we receive it, there is another step. We have an output. And this is where God's really been speaking to me, because what he's saying here is, Kelvin Todd, I've given you my word, and you are to walk in it. There's a way for you to go. There are steps for you to take. You're to walk daily in my word. That means the things that you do in any given day, and in any given season in your life, you're walking out what I've written, specifically in your circumstances. And as I've been a teacher and now I've stepped into some administration at my school, I get a little, there's a temptation to be nervous and a little bit anxious at the responsibility that comes my way because then I know, look, if I make a mistake, if I stumble, there are people who bear those consequences. There are children, there are families who don't get what they should get because Kelvin Todd failed to serve them in the way that he should, and he didn't know any better. Lord, keep me from stumbling. And so as I face any given situation and any given decision, my temptation is toward paralysis. Maybe I'm the only one, but my temptation is to go, oh, a decision has to be made? and just bite my nails until finally like I'm in a corner and I finally have to make that decision. That's the temptation for me. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you're the kind of person who's just like, hey, decisions are, that's my jam. I make decisions all day long. And maybe maybe that's you. But for me, there's this hesitation because I'm waiting for a certainty. There's a book called The Four Cardinal Virtues. And in it, um, the writer really brings out The writer is Joseph Pieper. Uh, He brings out these four cardinal virtues that have been um, talked about for centuries. And the first and principal cardinal virtue is prudence. Prudence. The sense of rightness in the moment in any given situation. And he quotes from Thomas Aquinas, who has to talk about prudence when it comes to making a decision. And specifically with those who may hesitate to make a decision because they're hesitant to take action until they have certainty that the outcome will not be a stumble he says here about he says Thomas Aquinas says the certitude of prudence cannot be so great as completely to remove all anxiety when I read that I felt a little bit sad that's exactly what I want I want the anxiety to be gone in any given decision in any given action He says, you can't remove all anxiety. That's a profound statement, this. Man then, when he comes to a decision, cannot enter, sorry, cannot ever be sufficiently prescient, nor can he wait until logic affords him absolute certainty. If he waited for that, he would never come to a decision. That's my temptation, I don't know if that's yours. But if we're waiting for a certainty, We're not going to get that. Not a logical certainty. So then what does he say to that? He says, then, the prudent man does not expect certainty where it cannot exist. Nor, on the other hand, does he deceive himself by false certainties. The decisions of prudence and the intuitions of providentia, basically, he says, are from several, several sources. And among them, and the last one and the chiefest one that he lists is from the grace and direct, grace of direct and mediated divine guidance. So the only certainty that we can depend on is God to guide. Logically, I will never get the full certainty that I need in that moment. So, That speaks to me because it says to me when I'm going, and I'm afraid of, or actually before I go, and I'm afraid of stumbling, that thing that I'm waiting for, that certainty, that anxiety to be removed, I'm not about to get that. So what does this passage say to us? Proverbs 4, verse 12. Notice the first three words. If you look at the first three words there, of Proverbs 4, verse 12, what are they? When thou goest. Not when you're waiting to go. See, what I want is, okay, God, while I wait, make the whole way straight, make sure that it's something I'm not going to stumble, and then I'll be stepping out. All right? Once you've given me that guarantee. And what he is saying here is, when you go, your steps will not be straightened. When you run, you will not stumble. But the inactive person is not about to get that. James, I believe, puts it a different way. He says, when God gives you a word, you better make sure that you're going to act on it. Otherwise, you're not about to get the word because you must be a doer of the word. Don't think that you're going to receive something from God if you're not going to act on it. We need to be acting on the word. So we have to take an action. But this temptation, I think, also is just a human temptation. Right. You look at Gideon and Gideon, when God speaks to him, says, hey, look, I'm about to lead through you. And he goes, well, give me a little bit more of a guarantee. And there are times where God will give us some of that. But there is always a point where we have to step out and take action like he has called us to in the midst of a less certainty, humanly speaking, and just certainty from God and his word. God had spoken to Gideon, and he had to move on the word of the Lord. God speaks to us, we move on the word of the Lord. God spoke to Moses, he had to move on the word of the Lord. Also, you see this with, um, I believe his name was Barak, when he was told, hey, look, lead the army. And he says to Deborah, I'm not about to go unless you're with me. And what I read in that is a sense of like, okay, look, I'm not necessarily certain that God's just with me, but I'm sure he's with you. You be here, we'll be good. And then she says, well, the credit's going to go to somebody else. There's a sense of wanting a certainty, and we need to remember that our output is to take action on God's word. This is not just true in our lives and just true in what we see in scripture, but in George Mueller's life, the same thing was true. He had to look at the word and learn to take action based upon it. When you think about George Mueller, I'll tell a little bit of his story for those who may not know. Um, He ran or started and ran several orphanages. I believe it came to five by the time of his death. He had five orphanages and hundreds of orphans that depended upon him for everything. Not only that, but he had a printing ministry that printed scriptures and, 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 and texts, and that depended on him. Also, by the end, he was a missionary going throughout the world, so he did become a missionary, and those he had to depend on the Lord to, de- to provide for that. When he first started, I think he needed 150 pounds a year when he opened his first orphanage. By the time he finished, he was living on thousands of pounds a year to provide for the hundreds of orphans that depended on him, the printing ministry that came from him and his traveling ministry. That's um, who George Mueller was. But if you think about the man when he first started that first orphanage, he didn't have an account where he said, okay, we're gonna bring in some orphans. We have all this money. We have these things set up. It's now set so that for the next year, everything is provided. He literally is opening the doors when he doesn't have 100 pounds to provide for them. Can you imagine telling orphans, come, we've got a table spread for you. We will take care of you when you know that, humanly speaking, you've got nothing. Talk about a man who takes action because he knows that God had called him. But he had to learn that. So to speak to his history a little bit, when he became a minister, he uh, went into ministry with his brother. And as a minister, he and his brother became persuaded that the way that they were supposed to be be getting paid traditionally was not biblical. How they did it back then, you had a pew and you would pay for your pew and that money would come in to go to the funds for the church. So can you imagine just coming into church and Okay, have you paid for your pew? Then you have your spot, and therefore we know that everything else for the church and for the pastor is all taken care of. They said, that doesn't seem to be right to us, that people should have to pay for a pew so that we can have an income. So they turned down an income, and they decided to live by faith. And they put a box in the back of the church and said, if people want to give for our ministry, they can put it there but we're not about to require people to pay for this pew rental because that's not biblical. In other words, they looked at the word of God, they heard God's word, and they said, we see God saying something here? And that means what he's saying there is how we're getting paid is going to be wrong. So we're going to take action. We're not going to wait for certainty that we will be provided for. We're going to step out in faith and tell the church we're we're not taking a salary. And that's the decision that they made acting in faith, stepping out. That was their output after receiving God's input. God's word said it, so he took action. And the same thing came about when he started his first orphanage and his second and his third and his fourth and his fifth. And then you can imagine that once he started all of those, and then he's also seeing that God is calling him to travel abroad. And go and share God's word with many other people to the point that he's gone from his orphanage for months on at a time. Wondering, should I do that? Because if I leave here, then are they going to be provided for here? Are these orphans going to be taken care of? If God has called me, then that's what I'm going to do. So then he took that action. Now, he didn't do so rashly, but he knew, okay, God, if you're going to call me to do this, then you will provide and he prayed to the Lord specifically for the funds that he needed, and he waited until God set those funds, and then he took that that step that he already knew that God was calling him to, and he had already planned his travels. This is a man who stepped out in faith. It was actually to the point once when he took his first missions trip that God provided the 2,000 pounds, I think, that was needed to run the orphanage, to pay for his travels, to pay for the printing that needed to go out all at that one time. But while he was gone, And on his travels, a huge sum of that money was recalled. And he gets the news while he's away from the orphanage that, hey, we're about to get that money taken back from us that was given to us. And he could have at that moment said, okay, well, cancel the rest of the trip. Let me run home and let me figure this out. But he knew God sent me and God will provide. And God did provide. He was a man who knew to stand upon the word of God and to trust God to do what he he was doing. Now, George Mueller would also say, and I would also hasten to add, that he did a lot of things that were not necessarily um, something that God said, you have to do it this way. But in his life, he knew that God was leading him. Okay, if I'm supposed to take this step, then you're going to take care of this Lord. And so that was what he did. He uh, ran his orphanage not by asking for any funds. He trusted God to provide. And so he never once asked for funds. He knew that it would be fine and okay to ask for funds. And as a matter of fact, he gave to other ministries that did ask for funds. It's not that he was saying that that was wrong, but he knew that God had specifically called him to never request funds because God's call on him was to show that God has abundant resources and that we can trust God to take care of and to provide for whatever he has called us to. And that's what his life is a testimony to, that God can provide in any moment of need. So there's God's input in his word and then there is our stepping out to act on his word. And then lastly there is the ongoing. He says in Proverbs 4 verse 18, "But the path of the righteous, sorry, the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more, think about that, shines more and more unto the perfect day. In other words, there's a point for the just person who is on this path that God has him on where early on he has less light, he's experiencing less light than later on down that path. There's light that shines more and more Unto the perfect day, and I think that that is true in our lives, and I think that that is true in Scripture. Paul puts it another way in, in Corinthians. He says, "Right now we see through a glass darkly. We see, we have some light, but there comes a point later on where we will see, and we will be known even as we are known. We will see in um, more clearly. There is greater light given." As we step. You see this also in Moses' life when God called Moses and he says, You're gonna go and bring the people back from, from Egypt. And Moses says, Well, give me a greater assurance, and God says, You'll know when you're back here. And then from that, Moses does get back to the mountain with the people of God, and he saw that God had carried him through exactly what he would what he called him to do. And then on the other side of that, God had more steps for him, because he was in the wilderness for another almost forty years. So there was a shining of the light more and more. And that's true. Um, I believe also in George Mueller's life, you see this where even later on in his life, as he now has five orphanages and he has these ministries that are dependent on him, here is something that, um, that is said about him in those last years. He started the ministry in the 1830s, I believe, and now in 1874, some 40 years later, He's still going in the ministry. And it says, all this was from first to last and of necessity, a work of faith. How far faith must have been kept in constant and vigorous exercise. In other words, his faith was stretched day to day to day. Exercised and can be appreciated only by putting oneself in Mr. Mueller's place. In the year 1874, for instance, About 44,000 pounds were needed. Now, remember when he first began, he didn't need but, say, 150 pounds. And now he's in a place where he needed 44,000 pounds. And he was compelled to count the cost and face the situation. Is God going to provide these 44,000 pounds, just as he provided the hundreds of pounds when I needed them? and says, 2,100 hungry mouths were daily to be fed and as many bodies to be clad and cared for. 189 missionaries were needing assistance, 100 schools and about 9,000 pupils to be supported, 4 million pages of tracts and tens of thousands of copies of the scriptures to be yearly provided for distribution. This was all that depended upon him. And beside all these ordinary expenses, inevitable crises and emergencies the man who was at the head of the scriptural knowledge institution had to, look for, had to look at this array of unavoidable expenses and at the same time face the human possibility and probability of an empty treasury whence the last shilling had been drawn. Let him tell us how he met this prospect. In other words, how did he respond when he faced a situation where he needed these tens of thousands of pounds? He says, God, our infinitely rich treasurer, remains to us. It is this which gives me peace. Invariably, with this probability before me, I have said to myself, God, who has raised up this work through me, God, who has led me generally year after year, the path of the just, says a shining light that shines more and more. God, who has led me generally year after year to enlarge it, God who has supported this work now for more than 40 years will still help and will not suffer me to be confounded because I rely upon him. I commit the whole work to him and he will provide me with what I need. In future also, though I know not whence the means are to come. When he didn't know where those funds were to come from, humanly speaking, he commended himself to God who would provide as he had provided in the past. This is our call too. Um, if I had time, I would read from, first, from Peter who faced the uh, similar circumstances and he writes to people and he tells them how they can count on the Lord. But he writes this about um, light shining. Peter writes to the people, and I'll close with this passage, in Second Peter chapter 1. He says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. He's talking about scripture. And he says, whereon do, do ye do well that ye take heed? Listen. As unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. What's Peter saying there? You have enough light now to act on what God has said. And you can walk in the light of like that flashlight, if you will, until the sun rises, until there's a more and more shining of God's light in our hearts. This is something that I'm letting God speak to me on as I face questions about different actions that I need to take. And I just share that with us to let God speak to you about the actions that God leads you to take. You can trust him to keep his word. And to shine his light into your life and into your situations and to give you direction that will not lead you to stumble.